0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 355.
1: We often believe that if we just find a set of tasks that we enjoy, that somehow, all of a sudden, we're going to feel motivated all day. And that's just not true. Hi,
0: welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast, by the way, dedicated to your personal and professional growth where I believe that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, then intentional and consistent reading has to be a part of that overall plan. I created the Read to Lead podcast to not only help you narrow your reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable ideas from the books we dive into each and every week. Today we're joined by a gentleman who has been on the show three previous times. That must mean I like his work quite a bit, and the answer to that would be a resounding yes. His name is Todd Henry, and we'll be digging into his book that came out in October of last year called The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces that Drive Your Best Work. I'll be asking Todd to share about how the motivation code as an assessment differs from other assessments you may have experience with. I'll ask about some of the common misunderstandings around motivation. We'll dig into the book's six families or themes and the motivation activators that comprise each one and much, much more. For a lot of us, motivation is just nowhere to be found when we need it the most. Things like money and perks and praise lead to short-term wins, but don't really do much to ward off the pull of habit and complacency. So what's the secret to unleashing our best work and how can we use it to achieve lasting results with our teams and in our lives? Well, those are the very kinds of questions that Todd's book and our conversation today is geared to help answer. If you're a planner like me and already looking ahead to what you're going to be reading as the year progresses, maybe thinking about what's going to fill that end of summer, beginning of fall void, I've got a recommendation for you. It's my book called Read to Lead, The Simple Habit That Expands Your Influence and Boosts Your Career. It's due for release on August 31st, but is available for pre-order on Amazon right now. To find it, just go to to readtoleadpodcast.com slash book that 's read to lead com slash book Todd Henry teaches leaders and organizations how to establish practices that lead to and I love this everyday brilliance He speaks and consults across dozens of industries on creativity, leadership, and passion for work. He's the author of five books. Uh, After today, we will have interviewed him about four of those books, uh, which have been translated into more than a dozen languages. He's a longtime host of one of the first ever podcasts I started listening to way back in 2007 on my way to my radio job back in the day at four o'clock in the morning. The Accidental Creative is the name of that podcast. His latest book, the one we're diving in today, is called The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces that Drive Your Best Work. Todd, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Jeff, it is so great to be here, and it warms my heart to know that you were driving into your radio gig, listening to my show, and probably not terribly impressed with the audio quality of my show back. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening anyway. Uh,
0: I don't know how I discovered it, but I remember uh, immediately being impressed by it and, and drawn to it and having no idea that I would someday be interviewing you now four times, which by the way, puts you in some elite company, I guess. I think Jeff Goins is the only other four-time guest. You have an advantage over him because one of his visits was to talk about a book we'd already talked to him about once before. <laughs> so nobody has ever been on to talk about four different book. So congratulations on that feat.
1: (laughs) I'm gonna have to hurry and publish another one so I can I want to beat Jeff at something. That would be my life ambition.
0: Well the only reason we haven't had Todd on to talk about his first book was because the Read to Lead podcast didn't exist when when that book came out. (laughs) Otherwise we probably would have had you on to talk about that one too. Well, let's start off by kind of just talking about your arc of, of writing, uh, in particular, what's transpired since your last book, Herding Tigers. Correct me if I'm wrong, but all the other books have been, have been solo efforts. And in this one, I see a few more names on the cover, a group of, of researchers that contributed to the book. What, what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, it was it was a, actually it was a, a lovely experience. It's definitely very different because all of my other books have been the result of my own observation, my own research, my own consulting, working with leaders, working with creative pros and distilling my own sense of the patterns of what was going on. And this is the first time that I was really borrowing from decades of research um, that's been conducted over the course of many years by dozens of people and really leveraging their experience and the framework that had been developed over the course of those decades in the process of writing. And so it was it was an unusual thing for me to be really as much of a student as I'm writing as sort of the teacher, you know, mm-hmm. and normally I'm used to being the teacher when I'm writing. And this time I was kind of learning as I was writing and reflecting some of the things that were, were born in the research. So it was a very, very exciting experience.
0: Well, that research includes assessments. Uh, and I'm curious to know how the research and assessments here in the motivation code differs from those we may be familiar with, like Colby and Enneagram and, and Myers-Briggs. For that person who's thinking, wait a minute, another assessment, how, how, do, how, does, how does motivation code differ? What is our motivation code, I guess, is the ultimate question.
1: Yeah so so you know you and I both felt that way about assessments or feel that way about assessments as a matter of fact um, the way I even came across this this work was in 2016 and this is before Herding Tigers. My last book was even out. I was still in the process of writing it. A friend of mine, Rod Penner, who had been a 20-year veteran at a management consulting firm, reached out and said, hey, I'd like for you to take this assessment that a team of PhDs and I have been working on for the last several years. Mm. And, you know, as you said, like my eyes rolled to the back of my head and I thought, <laughs> great, that's all I need is another set of letters to attach to myself. <laughs> or, you know, I was thinking, which Harry Potter house are you, are you kind of thing, you know? <laughs> I'm thinking that's the last thing I want to do right now. But I took the motivation code assessment and I was blown away. I was completely amazed by the patterns that it revealed in my life, by what it showed me about why I do what I do, about my aspirations, about some of the pitfalls that I pretty routinely fall into in the midst of my work uh, or in the midst of my relationships. Some of the leadership failures I'd had were very clearly explained by mm. some of the patterns that I saw in, in the assessment itself itself. And really what I learned is my motivation code. I had learned the unique combination of motivational activators that drive deep engagement, satisfaction, and excellent work for me. And so I knew that I needed to figure out a way to get this into the world somehow. It was only later that I discovered that this work really began in the late 1960s. Mm. And really conducted over the course of decades with people from the top of nearly any industry you can imagine, deep interviews, um, deep biography, lots of qualitative research to figure out what it is that makes moments of achievement especially gratifying for people. Mm. And over the course of those decades, clear patterns began to emerge. And so some of my colleagues and, you know, a whole team of PhDs worked on turning this into something that could be more useful and practical for the average person, which became the motivation code assessment. What they did is they analyzed, they parsed those over a million achievement stories that have been collected over the course of those decades, the largest repository to our knowledge of achievement stories in the history of humankind, and they parsed the language in those achievements Stories to figure out how people talk about those moments of deep engagement, what they discovered is there are 27 unique patterns that Mm -hmm. emerged. And so those 27 patterns became what we call the 27 motivational themes. These are the 27 unique animating drivers that cause us to feel engaged, you know, in the flow and deeply satisfied with our work. Really, over the last decade, then, you know, that assessment has been taken by hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, we have a lot of people who are out there certified to go out and to give the assessment, mm. to do um, you know, debrief coaching sessions. We call them impact sessions with people. And um, really, we're trying now as much as we can just to get this work into the world because we really have seen the life-changing effect of understanding what it is that uniquely drives you.
0: And is it safe to say that, that these 27 activators, I think you call them, this makes for a much more precise and, and personal assessment
1: it is very personal. As a matter of fact, it's all based upon your stories, based upon your moments of achievement. So you know, most assessments will just ask you abstract questions about mm. things in your life. You know, So tell us about this or what do you think about this? We begin with stories of achievement. We have you think of moments when you accomplished something that was unique, something that sticks with you to this day, something that for whatever reason meant something to you. Mm. And then we ask you questions about those achievements. And because of that, it's really driven. The assessment really is driven by your story. It's really driven by those moments of achievement for you. So it tends, the results tend to be much more precise mm. because we're not asking you abstractly to reflect on things in your life. We're asking you about very precise, specific moments in your life. And so As a result, what we often discover, for better or worse, is that people say it feels a little bit like a magic trick because (laughs) we're kind of revealing things that people always suspected, but they never really knew
0: how to put words Mm -hmm. to. Everybody's going to get to hear me get a little vulnerable here later on uh, as we dig into uh, my assessment. uh, So we'll see how that goes. Talk about maybe some of the more common, Todd, uh, misunderstandings about, about motivation.
1: Yeah, I think a couple of things that we carry with us are the result of just some of the kind of pop psychology that surrounds motivation. You know, some of the things that we hear from people, like we hear these phrases like, oh, if you discover work you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I mean, that is I I don't know about you. I, I really enjoy my work, but it feels like work you know, very often. <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so you know, we, we often believe that if we just find a set of tasks you know, that we enjoy, that somehow all of a sudden we're going to feel motivated all day. And that's just not true. Motivation isn't about the tasks you engage in. It's about the outcome that those tasks enable you to achieve. And that outcome is often much more intangible, much more ineffable than the actual tasks In front of us, and so the first myth I think is that we believe that if I just find the right set of tasks to do, suddenly motivation is just going to appear, and it doesn't. It doesn't just appear because those tasks grow boring over time, you know, uh, no matter how much we enjoy them at the beginning, and so. Understanding the outcomes that create engagement for us is a much more durable way of engaging in behavior that will eventually lead to satisfaction, increased flow, and overall uh, engagement in life, and in work, in better relationships, and all of those things. A second myth, I think, is that you know, generally we tend to think that motivation is only one of two types. So. And most of us have heard this of intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation mm-hmm. and this came out of the work of Deci and Ryan over the course of many decades pioneers in the study of motivational theory, and they came up with something called self-determination theory, which basically posited that really there's there's extrinsic motivation, there's intrinsic motivation, and we've all heard, you know, uh, if we followed the work of Dan Pink and others who have written Mm. about their research, that you know autonomy, mastery, and relatedness, or autonomy mastery purpose, I think is how Dan Pink articulated it, are the, you know, sort of components of intrinsic motivation. And extrinsic motivation are these external forces, like pay rate, And even, you know, fear, things like that, that tend to motivate behavior. But what the research has shown in recent years is that intrinsic and extrinsic motivation are not completely discrete entities, that they actually modify one another. So the way that I respond to a pay raise or what a pay raise means to me might be very, very different than what a pay raise means to you. And so, for example, if I'm motivated by one of our 27 themes called evoke recognition, that means that what is important to me is that somebody that I care about and that I respect recognizes that I'm doing good work. So if I get a pay raise, the money itself isn't necessarily going to motivate me nearly as much as if my manager gets up and says, hey, right now, I just want to recognize Todd for the great work that he's been doing. And oh, by the way, here's a pay raise, right? Those (laughs) words actually mean a lot more to me than the pay raise itself. So we could both be motivated by the pay raise, but for very, very different reasons. Let's say, for example, that for you, Excel is one of your top motivational themes, meaning that you really want to show that you excel at something. Well, to you, the pay raise, the the, the receipt of a pay raise means I have excelled. I have shown mm. myself to be better than my peers because I'm the one that got the raise. And whether anybody recognizes it or not, it doesn't matter because it's an internal recognition to you that you excelled in some way. And so knowing that about yourself can help you understand why you go through moments of deep satisfaction and engagement, but also moments of where you, where you, might be in a bit of a funk. I mean, I'll be really transparent with you now. And sorry, I'm going on a little bit with this answer, but (laughs) I am someone who spends a lot of my time on stages. I spend a lot of my time in front of thousands of people at a time influencing behavior, which is one of my core motivational themes. That's one of my top three motivational Mm -hmm. themes is influence behavior. Another one is make an impact. That's another one of my top three motivational themes. Well, over the course of the last nine months, We've all been locked in our homes and our offices, staring into cameras. Mm-hmm. And to be really frank, for the first couple of months of, all of this physical distancing, social distancing stuff that was going on, I was in a bit of a funk and I couldn't figure out why. And I was, I sort of did that forehead slap moment and I realized (laughs) it's because my influence behavior and my make an impact motivations aren't being scratched, right, those things that really drive me to do what I do, they're they're not getting scratched right now because so much of that was being fed by me being on stage in front of people and seeing people nod along, right, or seeing people (laughs) clap or whatever, and I wasn't getting that. And so for me, that was a huge revelation because I realized, okay, I've got to find ways in my life of engaging those motivations right now because they're not naturally engaged by what's going on. So I have to find ways of scratching that itch if I want to continue to be engaged and to thrive. So understanding these motivations really isn't It's not so much about I just want to love my job as it is about I want to understand some of the emotional patterns in my life, some of the moments of engagement and excellence, but also some of the ways maybe that I might slip into a bit of a funk from time to time. And sometimes it's because I'm not those those motivations are not being met or satisfied by my environment. And I have to structure my life in order to satisfy those things when my environment isn't naturally doing it for me.
0: And the uh, 27 uh, motivations are categorized or lumped into uh, one of six families that we're going to talk about here in just a bit. They dedicated chapter to each, each one of these. Um, in, in my case, my top five were spread out over four of these. Mm-hmm. And there was one in particular I was surprised I didn't have any in at all. So let's, let's kind of dip our toe into the water into each one of these families if we can, uh, starting with uh, the visionary uh, family. And this includes what? Achieve potential, make an impact. You mentioned that one a moment ago and experience the ideal. Number five for me in my top five was, was, was make an impact. So that's in your top five as well.
1: It is. It is. Yeah. And it's not surprising to me that that's in your top five because you're obviously somebody who likes to start things and reach people, um, <laughs> you know, and seeing the impact of that mark on the world is important to you. Mm. It is. So just to take one quick step back, we, we call these families of themes because they share a bit of DNA, mm even though the real value lives at the theme level, because that's where all of the, the attributes and also the, some of the shadow side characteristics live, these families of themes do share a bit of DNA. So just like I might mm-hmm. share DNA with my sister, and if we were together, you could kind of tell that we belong to the same family. Mm-hmm. We still have very different lives, different personalities, all of that. And so the visionary family of themes tends to be about looking to the future tends to be yeah. about envisioning something and then bringing it about. And so that's kind of what they each share. Each of these themes kind of share that future-leaning characteristic.
0: And I think about the, the next one here, I want to dive into Achiever. When I think of Achiever, I think of Enneagram. I think that's one of the nine uh, Enneagram categories, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, a, I'm an Achiever. I'm a three, according to the Enneagram. Interesting. I didn't have any in that family uh, when I took the uh, – the motivation code. I don't know what that says, but <laughs> but um, but speak to this one. Uh, who, who are the kinds of people that that fall into one of these uh, four motivations that I mentioned?
1: Yeah. So so just very quickly, um, I'll be a little more vulnerable again and say that <laughs> I'm a nine on the Enneagram, okay. and two of my top motivational themes are in the Achiever family, mm. and that's not something you would normally attribute to somebody who is a nine, right? Nines just kind of want life to leave them alone. Mm. Right. Uh, but the the Achiever family of themes are about people who like to move things forward. They want to persevere. They want to tackle challenges. Uh, and so for me, meet the challenge is, is actually my number two motivation and overcome is my number four motivation. So Mm. for me, if you come to me and you say, Todd, I don't know if this is possible, but Boom. I'm already in. Like, I don't care what comes after the butt. I'm already in. You've already (laughs) triggered my motivation because what basically I have just sensed that you have thrown down the gauntlet. (laughs) I don't like to write. I've written five books. I don't enjoy the process of writing. Maybe you do, Jeff. That's
0: not something that I enjoy. I like having written.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So what I learned about myself a long time ago is in order for me to stay on target with my objectives for writing, because again, I've written five books in 10 years, I've published five books in 10 years. I have to say, I'm going to write 500 words before 930 this morning. That's my Mm. challenge. Mm. I have to give myself a daily challenge in order to stay engaged. And I was doing that before I even knew meet the challenge is one of my top motivations, but now it makes so much sense why that works for me. It's because Mm. I'm basically throwing down the gauntlet to myself every single day. And same with overcome, which is my number four motivation, by the way. My top four kind of cluster together. So mm. I consider those four my motivation code, you know, versus mm. my top three or my top five. But the top four really cluster together for me. And overcome is really about wanting to overcome the odds. And so if somebody calls me and says, hey, we're just a tiny little company out in California trying to take on the Goliath of our industry. And boom, I'm already in. Like, I don't care. I want to help you, David, take on Goliath. Like, I mm. do. That's just what fuels me. It's what, wire, what I'm wired to do. And so when you you know, sort of understand some of these patterns, also, by the way, that can get me in trouble. So I can mm. begin to say, well, wait a minute. I, I see what's happening here. That's my overcome instinct kicking in. I need to temper that a little bit because I might get myself in trouble by taking on too much work, Mm. you know, because that's something that, that drives me or intrigues me.
0: I'm going to try this out and see if it works. Um, I don't know if this is possible, Todd, but I may need a, a book endorsement from you. <laughs> so now, you now got, you're all in, right? <laughs> you got me. I'm just, I'm
1: just a little podcast host trying to launch a book into the world. Got me, Jeff.
0: You already got me. Oh, that's so funny. Um, so let's let's go to the next one here. I've got I've, I had one of my top five in here. Number two, actually, uh, team player. That family, which includes collaborate make the grade serve and uh, influence behavior that's my number 2
1: so these are people who like to work with others they like to be around others they like to they tend to want to be a part of groups so for example make the grade is somebody who wants to be elite. They want to be in the elite circle of whatever the the group is that they're joining. So they don't just Mm. want to be a Navy SEAL. They don't just want to be a Navy SEAL. They want to be like SEAL Team 6, right? (laughs) That's what Make the Great is all about. Or they want to be an Eagle Scout. Or they want to be, you know, like whatever the thing is that shows that they are in the elite of the elite, that's what they want to be a part of. They want to gain acceptance into that group. You know, there's some people who just love to collaborate. And they, for them, they just want to be a part of a team that is a high functioning team. And that's all that matters. If, if the team is doing well, they feel great, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty low on my motivational ranking. So for me, mm-hmm. I could work on my own in my office for weeks on end. But for some people, this mm-hmm. is this COVID time has been really, really hard for them because they thrive in a team context. So for some of us listening right now, if you've really been in a funk, it could be something to the effect of like you're driven to be part of a team, you're driven to collaborate, or maybe you're driven to serve by one of these other team player. Like and and serving is a lot harder right now than it is in normal times because you don't have those natural moments where you can just kind of step up and you know, go get bagels for the team or do something like that. So, mm. especially people who have themes who are in that team player family, right now is a really challenging time for a lot of a lot of us because It's just not something we're naturally able to do as much right now.
0: As I was going through the assessment and ranking questions, it occurred to me that I had to be careful not to take something that was often present in my life and think because it's present, that must mean it's something I like to do. <laughs> That's right. Does that, does that make yes. sense? Uh, so, for example, collaborate, uh, not in my top five, but I actually went and, and, and re answered some of the questions because I began answering what seemed like collaborate focused questions. With with high marks, because there are a number of examples of that, the book included, in my life right now. But yeah. collaboration involves planning and meetings and details, all of which I can't stand. <laughs> so, right, right. Absolutely. Aspects of it I love, but, but for the most part, no. So I think that's something to, to be careful of. Would you agree?
1: I would definitely agree. And that's why we ask about specific instances Mm. um, in your life. And we ask you, why were those specific achievements significant to you? Right. Um, right. Because then you're thinking about a specific moment in time. So, for example, one of my stories when I took the motivation code assessment was about my high school basketball team. Mm. And I definitely collaborated as part of that. Right. Right. Um, I definitely had, you know, I was definitely central to the team, you know, as part of it because of the the way the story played out. But that wasn't what made my senior season so especially meaningful. It was the fact that I had come back from a significant illness that other people said was going to sideline me forever. People mm. said I would never play again. They said I might not walk again. Um, mm. It was because I had come back and had a successful senior year in spite of all of that. That's what really made that achievement so especially meaningful to me. And so, yes, all of those other things, collaboration and being central and ma- even making the grade and all of those things were were maybe present but the thing that really made it especially meaningful was the fact that i had overcome an obstacle that i had met a challenge in some way and mm. so that's why we ask about those specific moments because it helps us be more precise in how we answer those questions
0: and and that brings me to the next one, the learner family. And I would have bet money that I would have had a top five motivator here. Again, going back to because I have numerous things present in my life, the podcast being chief among them that would kind of demonstrate that, you know, I might well demonstrate new learning might be one of my my top five or master or comprehend and express in, in that the podcast was kind of born out of some of those things. But that was also seven, eight years ago. Maybe those aren't as high on the list today as they were then.
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, and and not only that, but you you can't confuse
0: activities
1: with motivations. So just because you're good at demonstrating learning or just because you're good at comprehending and expressing or mastering things or exploring doesn't mean that's what's animating your behavior. And and this is an important distinction. You know, what drives us to do something is not necessarily the same as what we're good at doing. Mm. So for me, make an impact being my top motivation um, means that, you know, while yes, I'm, I mean, I've been podcasting for 15 years, so I definitely have in some sense mastered podcasting. And, you know, I've mastered writing a book at this point, and I definitely have to demonstrate new learning frequently. It doesn't mean that those are necessarily top motivators for me. What it means Mm -hmm. is that If I don't see the impact of the podcast I'm creating, then it's not going to matter to me. Mm. I'm not going to be very engaged with it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to ask myself, why am I doing this? (laughs) Why do I need to create another episode? Why? You know, if I'm not seeing impact from it, it's the impact that motivates me to keep doing it. And so, you know, we have to be careful to parse between skills and strengths and motivations. Those Mm. are they're very different things. And sometimes they're they're tied together for sure. Right. But but just because that didn't show up in your top themes doesn't mean, Jeff, that you're not a good learner or that you're not a good teacher. Obviously, you are. Uh, It just means maybe that that's not what's at the core of what's driving you to do what you do when you're at your most engaged. Got it. Yeah. Very
0: helpful. Optimizer family, the next one. And I had two of my top five here, my number one and number four, which were make it work and establish. I believe. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right?
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so uh, you know, the optimizer family are people who tend to be motivated to want to make things run as efficiently as possible. They like to make sure that systems are functioning well. They want to fix problems. They want to make improvements. Let me ask you, Jeff: Are you someone who is often trying to find a better way to go about your work as a podcaster?
0: Yes. I'm all about fixing things that don't work the way they should. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Optimizing. And, and yeah, that, That's not surprising. I would even, I would hazard a guess that maybe you even like to tinker with your systems and try to get things exactly the way they should be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that when we talk about the optimizer family, what we're talking about are people who are motivated to want things to be the best that they can be versus some people are just, you, you know what, as long as it's in the ballpark, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's working okay. You know, why would I want to mess with it? Everything's fine. Um, I'm kind of the same way. You know, I am about every two years I go through this process of like, maybe I should just reinvent all of the systems that I'm doing and just really <laughs> hone them in and just really optimize them, you know. And so I think people who kind of are driven by things that are in this family are always asking, is there a better way to do this? And not only are they asking that, but that's kind of what drives them. They actually enjoy the process of Tweaking and making things as efficient or as optimal as they possibly could be.
0: And the last one, then, the key contributor family. There are several here, I think six total, uh, one of which was my number three motivator. And you've mentioned this one a couple of times already evoke recognition. Talk about the key contributor family, if you would.
1: Yeah. So the key contributor family are people who tend to want to be close to the action. You know, they want to be. At the center of where things are happening. So that could be, you know, maybe they want to be close to the person in power or they want to be the person presenting the idea or they want to be the person who is seen as excelling in some capacity they yes, want to be unique. yes
0: yes yeah yeah
1: <laughs> um, they they want to be unique they want other people to recognize and that doesn't mean they have pink hair and you know walk around in flamboyant clothes or something that's not what it means what it means is they just want to highlight the differences between themselves and others they want to show that they're unique from other people in some capacity. Um, and by the way, that's, that's a, a specific motivational theme I just described called be unique. But primarily key contributor family people want to be in the heart of the action or in Hamilton parlance, they want to be in the room where it happened, right? Mm. Like that's <laughs> primarily what they're driven to do. Mm.
0: Uh, Very helpful. Thank you for indulging me uh, with my top motivators as you explain all this. I appreciate that. Before I dive into a couple of questions, Todd, not directly related to the book, anything else you want to share about it? There's that last chapter that I really didn't dive into, the what's next chapter, if you will. Anything else you want to share, please do.
1: Yeah, I would say one thing that is really important to me and actually to all of my colleagues is we discover ourselves in the midst of community. And so I would really encourage people if they're going to go on this journey of discovering what drives them, what motivates them, do it with other people. Ask questions of other people, share with other people what you're learning about yourself, Mm. because we learn best in the context of community. Sometimes we have blind spots. Well, not sometimes. We all have (laughs) places that we don't see that other people can see very clearly. And so we need to make sure that we are having conversations with others that help us see ourselves more completely. So that that would be my, my biggest advice. And as you discover what drives you, as you discover what motivates you, think about it this way. Don't think about it in terms of if I just had the perfect job or if I just had the perfect relationship, if I just had the perfect fill in the blank, everything would be great. There is no such thing as the perfect job or the perfect relationship or the perfect fill in the blank. Instead, it's about us learning to bring ourselves and bring our motivation to whatever those things are, right? And, mm. and as we begin to bring our knowledge of ourselves, our knowledge of what drives us, of what creates engagement to those external instances, whether it's our job or our relationships or whatever, it completely changes the calculus of how we approach mm those things in our life. And so don't see it as if, if my circumstances were only perfect, everything would be great. And instead think, how can I bring more of a knowledge of who I am to what I do every day? And that's when your life begins to change.
0: As they say, it's hard to read the the label from inside the bottle and and, and bringing other people into this certainly uh, can help with that. And and something you, you touched on briefly, I didn't really go into with you, but that's the shadow side. Every one of these has has a shadow side to it and bringing other people into the equation can make us more aware of what that is for us. Is that ultimately what you're saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that is an important point that every one of these motivations is a gift, but there's also a shadow side to that motivation, meaning that there's a potential downside, you know, some some negative tendencies we can slip into if we're not careful. Um, you know, I'll give you an example if we have time, sure. uh, from my life, you know, meet the challenge is one of my top motivators, and that means I can sometimes fill my life with things that May feel challenging to me, but aren't necessarily the most productive things in the world when I don't feel imminent challenge in my work. Hmm. Um, You know, a couple of years ago, my teenage son introduced me to this demon from the pit of hell called Fortnite, the (laughs) video game. Um, (laughs) That you know, I you he was like, oh, you need to try this game, and so I just you know very quickly picked up my iPad and I installed it. And for those who don't know, Fortnite is a game where you drop onto an island and there are a hundred players, and you have to like find weapons and basically the, the, the goal is to like eliminate everybody else on the island and be like the last person standing, you know? So I landed on the island and I think I took like two steps and boom, I was gone, (laughs) you know? And I said, well, that was stupid play again. you know, (laughs) And then started playing. And I think I lasted like maybe 30 seconds. And the next game, I lasted like two minutes. And then like seven hours later, Mm. I made it the top 50, you know, and then like two months later. okay, I'm sitting on our couch. I mean, I have moved since then and slept and everything. I'm sitting on our couch and I let out this little whoop. I had just achieved my first victory. And I my wife said, what happened? And I told her and she said, way to beat that seven year old, honey. Good job. Um, But here's the thing for somebody who's driven to meet the challenge that kind of distraction is really really dangerous because mm-hmm. a couple of things first of all the game lasts about 20 minutes if you play all the way to the end lasts about 20 minutes the rules are really simple really clear there's enough randomization that it It feels new every time, but it's familiar enough that it feels like there are clear, you know, there's a clear structure to it. So for somebody driven to meet the challenge, who's like, I just want to achieve a victory, like I just want to I've got to do it. That is like narcotics for somebody Mm -hmm. with that core motivation. And so that's a great illustration of And by the way, my entire adult life, I've probably played a collective 15 minutes of video games up to that (laughs) point. You know, the reason I bring it up is because whether it's that or it's some other example, once you understand what is driving your behavior, whether it's procrastinating behavior or positive behavior, you can begin to say, okay, wait a minute. That is maybe the shadow side of my motivation playing out. How can I find a challenge in my work right now or in my relationship right now that I can tackle with that motivation? so that I don't go down this rabbit hole of distracting behavior that's being driven by the shadow side of that motivation. Mm.
0: And I like, too, I hadn't touched on this, but I like, too, that uh, there are numerous sections throughout the book dealing with working with an achieve potential person, working with a make an impact person, which I I found very, very helpful. Well, I'd love to ask you about your experience and history with, with reading and the impact that the books of others have had on your life as I'm continuing to put the finishing touches on a book about this topic. How has the habit of reading in your life intentionally and consistently played a role in your growth personally and and professionally?
1: The single best habit I have ever instilled in my life was in 2003. Um, Now, I I engaged in the process of reading and study prior to that. I mean, I've always been kind of a reader. And even in my my 20s, my early 20s, when I was playing music full time and all of that, like I would still read during the day and would Mm -hmm. like try to glean insights from books and stuff. But I very distinctly remember in 2003, I said, I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to study for an hour. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to go to my home office and I'm just going to read for an hour. And I began doing that and it radically transformed my life. As a matter of fact, I would even argue that I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for that discipline in Mm. my life. It taught me in the words of Stephen Sample, the former president of USC, it taught me to commune with great minds It taught me how to leverage the experiences of other people and bring those to bear in my day-to-day life, my day-to-day existence. It taught me how to think in a more profound and systemic way. Um, I spot patterns, not because I'm super smart, but because I've experienced enough patterns now over time that I can say, oh, this is kind of like that other thing that I read about 15 years ago. And so I would say for anybody who wants to advance Your ability to be effective in your career and anybody who wants to, frankly, just have greater life satisfaction. Reading is an unbelievable portal into deep admiration for the world and also deep effectiveness as a human being. So that probably is the best endorsement I can give to reading. And by the way, one thing I would say to people, because some people are like, well, but you know, I don't read very quickly. You know, I'm a slow reader. And you know, what if I only get through 10 books a year? Great. (laughs) Listen, it is not about how many books you read. It's about what you do with what you read. Yes. It's far more important that you take the time to think about what you're reading and apply that to your life and to your work and to whatever you're doing than it is to just sort of breeze through a bunch of books. It's why, and listen, you know, no harm, no foul. I have no issue with these services, but all these services that advertise to you, Hey, we can give you all you know, the top insights from 50 books <laughs> in like 10 minutes or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't just want awareness of this stuff. I want understanding Mm. of this stuff. Understanding comes with marination. Understanding comes with sitting with concepts, thinking about them, chewing on them in your head, and applying them and thinking about them and tossing them over. That takes time. You don't just glance at a bunch of high-level concepts and suddenly understand a topic. And that's a big problem in our culture today is we confuse awareness with understanding. And truthfully, we also, as D. Hawk put it, we also confuse understanding with wisdom. You know, mm. understanding tells us what we can do, but wisdom tells us what we should do. And you only gain wisdom by sitting with things and chewing them over in your head and, and really thinking systemically. And that only comes with a lot of time spent immersing yourself in the
0: minds of other people. Let's see. Note to self. Send Todd release form for permission to quote in a book. <laughs> there we go.
1: I think I just spoke enough to write a chapter for you. So <laughs> you, you use all of that.
0: <laughs> that was amazing. With 2020 behind us, what's 2021 shaping up to look like for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the things, and it's funny because I'm I'm just getting ready to do a podcast episode called My Five Big Learnings this year, and one of the things that I have, I think, really learned this year is that you need to embrace the flow of a river. I think so many of us spend our lives trying to fight the river, uh, meaning trying to, like, say, hey, you dumb river, why are you taking <laughs> me this direction? and This year has felt like a year where I don't care how strong you are, you just can't resist the flow of the river. Like we are all swept up in history this year. Our lives have been changed, whether we like it or not, and there's nothing we can do about it. Global pandemics have this funny way of removing any sense of, I'm in control of all of this Mm. from your life. And so for me, I am looking forward this year to the slow reclaiming of just the really small joys in life of getting together with family, of going to a grocery store without a mask on, <laughs> you know, of um, attending sporting events again and concerts. And like as much as there's been discussion, Jeff, about the concern about what this is doing, we have, we have three teenage kids, right? The concern mm-hmm. about what's, what this is gonna do to this generation and all of this. I think as terrible as the health crisis has been, I think this has been remarkably good for the psychology of, uh, at least of our kids, Mm -hmm. I can say, because I think that they have learned, you know what, there's not as much that I'm in control of as I thought I was. And maybe I just need to kind of loosen up and just engage with life and engage with people and not take relationships for granted and not take experiences for granted and just really kind of lean into my life a little bit. And I think that's been a really good psychological shift. And I hope that that's been the shift in our culture as well. And so this year for me, I'm just really, I'm looking forward to it feeling like spring where you see that first flower pop up through and you go like, Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot about that, you know, after a long winter. And I I think this entire year is going to feel like a continually unfolding spring and I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Oh, that's well said. Well, the book, again, is called The Motivation Code, Discover the Hidden Forces that Drive Your Best Work, completing his fourth interview on the podcast uh, more than than anybody else. Congratulations, Todd, and thank you for for being here on the Read to Lead podcast. Love having you. Uh, You're welcome anytime.
1: That was an honor. Thank you so much.
0: I encourage you to connect with Todd online, say on Twitter and LinkedIn. For links to do just that, then visit the page on my website dedicated to this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash three five five for episode 355. That's also where you can find more information on the other links and resources Todd and I discussed, including how you can take the motivation code assessment right now. One of my favorite subjects when it comes to reading is reading books about all aspects of public speaking, whether that's crafting a talk, delivering a talk, designing a talk or booking a talk, it's a skill that I'm always looking to improve upon. And that's one of the reasons I'm excited next week to welcome Michael J. Gelb to the podcast. He's written a book called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.